Hey Geek fans, today we're talking about Star Trek and Relics of the Internet Past. This episode on the Raven Geeks. Hello Geek fans, I am Ben Solis. I'm Jordan Hermony. And I am Kelsey Cavazos. And we are the Raving Geeks, back again for episode number three in Raving Geeks season three. How are you guys feeling today? You know, it's been a pretty good week, all things considered. I'm feeling uh, pretty swell. Swell. We uh, we have Kelsey doing the intro now. If you, if you listen into the intro, that's Kelsey's fine voice. We're spreading the love around. So uh, sultry. So sultry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just sick of doing it. And I popped the uh, popped the microphone when I did it last time. You popped those peas. Popped the peas. So we're going to spread it around a little bit. But, yeah, we got a really good episode uh, going today. Last week, we talked about some really important stuff. But when we got to the end of the episode, we failed to realize, despite us being huge fans, at least two of us being majorly huge fans, that we missed talking about Star Trek's 50th anniversary. 50 years of Trek. That's crazy that we forgot about that, despite how big of Star Trek fans we are. Listen, um, so wow. We're, we were disappointed in ourselves. Very. Uh, I think I cried a little bit. You're both grounded. We're, yeah, we're listen, not... I went home, I looked at my like fake Spock ears that I used for a Halloween costume, and I just felt like I had shamed them. I felt like Leonard Nimoy was looking down, it's like, you had your chance. I don't know why he sounds like... So he's like, Bane now? Yeah, I was going to say, like, wonder what will break first. Um, but <laughs> ne- yeah, no. Nemo Spock. So what? <laughs> Nimoy Spock. He's ripped. Nemo? Yeah, no. Can you imagine a ripped Spock? Uh, <laughs> the bull cut and everything. Can't say that I can. Anyways, Any- but before we get into that, we should probably get back into our news. You have some news about Iron Yeah, Fist? so so we're gonna we're gonna get to the Star Trek stuff later, but she is she is correct. So we're gonna hit our news off real quick that Iron Fist cast has been released. It looks pretty cool. Um, the bigger news here is that there is gonna be a major panel at the New York Comic Con um, on Iron Fist, talking with the showrunners, the writers. And what we're going to see differently in this new kind of Defenders universe with the two new shows, as opposed to what we saw with Jessica Jones right. and Daredevil, both mm-hmm. fine, fine installments into Marvel's canon and their universe, if I do say so myself. Um, yes. So it's really kind of cool that they're kicking this off and getting things going. Um, Iron Fist is a little bit of a weirder, like, you know, periphery character. I was going to say, that's kind of like uh, for the people who've been with, you know, Marvel longer, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, cool, Iron Fist. But for it's kind of like out there. It's the fringe. It is. Well, both Luke Cage is not so much. I think a lot more people know who Luke Cage is or at least aware of Luke Cage. And especially with his presence on Jessica Jones. Oh, yeah. People know now, too. Um, the best thing is that these two shows are basically coming out like near back to back. I mean, obviously they've got all of like Luke Cage pretty much filmed, and they're going to release it here soon. Um, but the next one is going to be Iron Fist, and obviously, you know, people who know this, they're heroes for hire, mm-hmm. right? They are like the duo most of the time, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Oddly enough, though, at that same Comic Con, they are not going to have a Luke Cage panel. That's weird. Completely absent. Hmm. Um, I don't know what the is. Was there deal any is. news like on why or? They didn't really say. I think that they just because they they had such a splash with the trailer, right? Mm-hmm. And they talked about it enough at SDCC. Right. Um, you, they probably don't want to overmarket it. Get people. Well, and like, here's the thing too. They may not have talked about it at SDCC either because I know that Disney has their own con now, right? Dis- Disney has their own con, and that they talk about Marvel stuff like primarily there. Hmm. So maybe that's where they're, they're going to do it, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of kind of silly, especially. I feel like you'd be alienating alienating an audience by not doing it at New York because not everybody who goes to New York is gonna go to Disney. Because I mean, like, right. I know I personally like I'm going to like San Diego or New York or at least tuning in. Like, mm-hmm. if I can't physically go to news there, whereas like Disney Con, I don't know what it's called. This is actually the first I've heard of it. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I would think that that's something for like, not to be rude, but children. I would definitely not think that that's something I would go to for you know my Avenger needs, my Guardians of the Galaxy needs, like... Yeah, I mean, the same crowd that goes to these Comic-Cons are not going to be there. You're exactly right. Right. I mean, it is a lot... Most of it is for developers, too. Yeah, I can see that. People in the industry who are, like, involved in Pixar and things like that, um, obviously on their, like, animation end. Um, But, yeah, since Marvel's been, like, their big tentpole franchise right now, besides their other, you know, Mm Disneyfication of other things, their main properties, um, yeah, they're trying to turn into, like, a Comic-Con feel... Which, I mean, I personally don't think they're going to ever achieve that. No, I don't think so either. Yeah. I mean, they have, like, one set of properties to do that with. Right. Unless if they, you know, suddenly decide to buy 
other like indie properties, which is never going to happen. Yeah, it seems kind of strange to me to start their own con, like unless they market it to the point where it's not like Disney Con. Like I keep jokingly calling it that. Unless they market, yeah, DizCon. Unless they. Um, that was horrible. I'm terrible. It's okay. Um, We're moving on. But yeah, no, unless they market it in a way that like, that's just them sponsoring it and it's all just Disney owned content. So if they have, you know, a lot of Star Wars stuff there, if they have a lot of Marvel stuff there, like it could be possible. And I could see perhaps in the future, uh, it being maybe an established con, maybe we'd see like, like more and more like reputable people there, which I suppose they would have anyways, because they're Disney. They're a big company. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just hard to think of that in the same vein right now as, you know, SDCC or NYCC. Yeah, I mean, I do want to see some Toy Story cosplay. I mean, that would be pretty sweet. <laughs> Listen, Jesse has those beady eyes, man. I don't know if I would want to see, like, would you do a Toy Story cosplay in the sense that, like, you would be the character or you would, like, almost, like, fursuit the character? I, right would, like to, I would like to go there cosplayed as Andy and then be around all the toys and, like, have that moment where you're like, oh, my God, you can talk. <laughs> oh, God. Oh my God. Speaking of which, I saw Sausage Party last weekend. Oh my God! It was brilliant. Oh my God! It was really, really good. And I'm like, a, I'm like a person who doesn't really like, like animated like <laughs> Disney movies anymore. I just am not into it, or like the CGI stuff. Yeah. So to have like an adult subversive CGI animated flick is really cool. And I okay, so Jordan was giving me some shade when we were talking about this. I'm over still the, giving the week. you shade. Oh my God! Kelsey looks like uh, she's just like disappointed in me. No, I'm not even disappointed. I just. I, I have no frame of reference. I haven't seen it yet, so it's it's really it's really funny and it's actually a really intelligently written comedy. Um, it knocks on religion a lot, which is I really found refreshing. It wasn't done like in a cheap way. It was really done in like it's like oh wow these people really feel this way. Um, it's cool. I don't want to give it away. Okay. Go see it. Okay. That's that's my check and wreck. All right. I know we're pre- prematurely talking yeah, about checks and wrecks. Yeah. Why you got it? I just have to I have to put it it's out. For there. the end of the show. It's for the end. Well, we got something else planned for the other show. So you're right. I'm not worried about it. All right. But yeah, one of the cool things is, I mean, most of all, if we come back to this Luke Cage thing, is that honestly, the trailer, I mean, the trailer looked great. It looked awesome. But the idea of a bulletproof black man in today's society as like a major character, it's awesome. I agree. It is something that we all need to see. I think The Root uh, wrote about that. I think like um, Sean King kind of like, you know, opined on it too is that what a better time to have that kind of hero. You know, mm-hmm. we had someone like Jessica Jones that fought up against, like, this rape culture idea, right, and this, like, survivor complex, mm-hmm. you know, showing what a what a survivor looks like done well in actual, like, superhero media. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a very cool progression that Marvel's doing. And you know me, I mean, not how I am about DC and Marvel, but I really respect Marvel for going with the, the Luke Cage thing in the show. I agree. I just really hope that people don't see this as a political move well that i mean it is in a sense it is a political move it is but i hope people look at it as more than that because it's really easy to get caught up in the whole like oh they're just doing that for social justice points and then like knock the media and then when media like this does bad when stuff like you know luke cage the get down like predominantly like media driven by roles of color um especially by black actors, we don't get to see those a lot, especially if they're knocked down before, you know, their first season really even concludes. So I really hope Luke Cage is not like a top title for me, but I will probably end up watching this just because I'm interested to see how this can play out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and the comics do have a long history of pushing social justice issues. I mean, the creation of Jon Stewart as a Green Lantern was specifically to further that agenda and show, like, the racial bias of even, like, Hal Jordan. Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't he, like... DC's like one of their first black superheroes. One of one of few, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was one of the most prominent for for a good long while, and that whole saga. We we've kind of talked about it in, in past seasons before, um, but one of the biggest issues with that was is that when he was enlisted by the Guardians, Hal was a jealous because at the time he was the only Earth Guardian. I think I think maybe Guy had already been brought on board, but aside from that, you know, there was only the two of them, mm-hmm. um, and he was. He had a racial bias. I don't think it actually came out in, like, straight-up racism. Right. But he just didn't think he could do his job or could be trusted. And it evolved later racial on. Racial implications, yeah. Yeah, and it's just to play with that kind of stuff is great. So I'm just really happy that they're doing it now, and I'm really looking forward to this. But uh, getting back on, like, that whole Marvel vein, uh, there's apparently a new biopic coming out. You need to tell me more about this. I am absolutely so interested. So yes. as, as you guys know 
from hearing us many times. I <laughs> despise Stan Lee. With I, a passion. I think everything Stan Lee touches uh, ruins everything. I'm, You're killing me, Smalls. I'm like, I'm like one of those people who are like, is adamant that Stan Lee should give back his Jack Kirby award for all the crap that he put Jack Kirby through. You know? That's just that's just my feeling on this. I'm a big Jack Kirby fan, so mm-hmm. uh, this is where I stand. However, this is actually pretty cool, and I'm pretty pumped for this because it's so weird. They're doing a Stan Lee biopic, right, set in the 1970s, mm-hmm. which is like, you know, once once Marvel started to really get rolling and, you know, it was a bigger company and you know, right. he was in his heyday, you know, swinging, big lapels, hanging out with all the ladies. Oh, yeah. That Bro- man Stan. In Brooklyn. Um it's going to be an action-adventure biopic of him in the 1970s. I'm so concerned, not concerned, intrigued, I believe is the word. How <laughs> action-adventure? Like, What is he going to be, like, picking up swords and, like, you know? Well, the action part is is him getting tail, I believe. Sure, <laughs> sure. And that, also, that also might be the adventure part, because what tail is it going to be? Yeah. We yeah. Don't How know. adventurous is the tail? Exactly. Yeah. Going to each club the each night. The tail of the tail, man. That's that's what we got so far. <laughs> yeah. we, oh my god, we're gonna get like just like Marvel's gonna call us up, and be like, "Excuse me, this is libel. Um, can you please cease and desist?" And we're gonna be like, "Please oh don't talk god. about us ever again." We, yeah, we just want to see Stanley's adventures and getting laid, and it seems like this is the prime like way to do this. I've never been more invested in. How old is he now? Like ten thousand years old. He's like he's pushing eighty. If should not we 90. should we look it up? You I, can look I mean, it you up. can look gonna, it up, but I've never it. been more invested in an octogenarian's quest to get tail in my whole Me life. Me neither. And in fact, we were kind of talking about it too. Is that like the only way that this really works is if it's Stanley now playing himself in the seventies? Oh, I hope so. <laughs> you know, he is. Oh my God, you guys, he's actually ninety-three. I knew it. Holy Jesus! I knew he was pushing ninety. He is. He's not pushing ninety. He's, he's beyond past ninety. It. Yeah, that's a good point. Oh born in 1992. God. Or no. Really? 92. Wow. No, I'm sorry. 22. 1922. 1992. I was going to say, Stan Lee and I, man, I have aged really well then if that's what Stan Lee looks like. The year of the depression. <laughs> my bad. Sometimes I forget how uh, numbers work. That's yeah. also kind it's of okay, really I'm a broadcasting major. Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, we, numbers, what are those? But uh, I think it's really interesting, and I know they said that it's going to be set in the 70s, but just like the amount of stuff that he has lived through like even if they touch on that just a little bit like that's that's crazy to me yeah like everything that man has probably seen and lived through and like on a completely unrelated note like this popped up on like my facebook the other day but i mean you know everybody knows the story of like ruby bridges right you know she's only like 67 i know yeah like that that sounds like beyond crazy to me because when we learn about ruby bridges like you think that this was like hundreds of years ago like no 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 like like we keep going back to like this whole social justice thing. Like I mean, Stanley was kind of like I don't want to call him like the front runner because I mean obviously like he's the front runner in comics, one of. Uh, but well, he was instrumental in pushing some of these issues too. Right. Yeah. And part of me, what I don't know whether to believe that it was actually just like you know this is a way to make money because people are thinking about this or whether he actually cared about it. But I will say this is that despite how I feel about Stanley and him kind of like oversimplifying comics and like there's there's the spectacular nature of comics. Uh, which is which was Marvel's forte for generations. Oh yeah, right, right. The fact that he was able to start with Jack, way from way nothing. from nothing, right, and write about these like science fiction, like real out of out of this world ways that these people became you know heroes, like the Fantastic Four origin, you know, some of the Spidey origins, like to have that and have seen everything as you just mentioned. And to be, like, instrumental in, like, keeping up with this, like, idea of, like, innovation in science through comics, uh, even still to this day, is really remarkable. No, and, yeah. And he deserves it. Yeah. I agree. So, so. Cheers, cheers. We'll be sitting in front row. Um, if it comes out in a time where we're actually still here talking about this, we need to have, like, a like a Raving Geeks play date. Yes. Oh, my God. Go see the movie. Um, Raving Geeks takes the streets. Take the streets. Takes the tail. <laughs> the tail of the tail, he takes man. the tail with Stanley. Fantastic. Um, so yeah, that's that's interesting and upcoming things. Another interesting upcoming thing is that we have a new Twin Peaks series in the works. Which that's I'm, been in the works for like ever. I've been trying to follow this since I like know. 
I know. Last year, two years ago, my well, friends and I were pumped for it. We now have a cast list, <sighs> and we have like actual like shooting scripts. They're working on it now. Like T- goosebumps. Tim Roth is. Look like, at her, she does. I, I literally have goosebumps. I know, I'm too. so excited. I love David Lynch so freaking much. I love the original Twin Peaks. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Dune, which is super funny because a lot of people still look at like his Dune movie as being like a, an atrocious mess. And like David dis- Lynch is an interesting man. Despite he any is. of that, like I think it's brilliant. Eraserhead is great. Holland Drive is great. Blue Velvet is great. Blue Velvet's good. All of this stuff is fantastic. So for this to be like in, like for people to be that excited about it too, especially such a cult thing, is really very cool. And no one is more excited about this than than Tim Roth, the star of the show itself. Right. Um, and he actually did a really cool Q and A with Collider. Um, and I'm. Pumping Collider as much as I can because we have a friend out there, David Griffin. If you're out there hearing us, one of our first our first podcast guests, mm-hmm. beautiful man. Um, but they talked to him, and uh, you know Tim Roth just raved, raved about getting to finally work with David Lynch. And they talked to him, was like, "Were you a fan of Twin Peaks?" And he's like, "Well, Twin Peaks actually came way later in my David Lynch fandom because he said that his like group of four friends." Like, he only had, like, four friends. Listen, he's Tim Roth. He's just, he's out there, man. Yeah, I know. But he, like, he they were all <laughs> actors, right? So they're, right. like, growing up, surrounded by thespians, like, really, like, interested in, like, the art, just sitting around geeking about David Lynch movies. Um, and for him to be involved in it or even just, like, be in close contact. He said it's, like, one of those things where you, like, get the call and, like, you just hear the first couple words and you're just like, White yeah, noise. yeah, I'm in. Yep, yeah. yep. I'm good. Hello. Yes, I'm here. I agree. Yes, hello. This is Tim Roth. <laughs> Yes, I yes. Uh, I believe that Jordan um, feels pretty strongly about Tim Roth. Listen, I have like this like weird obsession with like I don't want to call it obsession, but she, I'm, I'm she a, got a girl crush. I Tim Roth, young Tim Roth, like Reservoir Dogs era Tim Roth, whew, like a fine wine. But anyways, I digress. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, I saw Reservoir Dogs from like a really young age. That's actually like you know how people have like creature comforts of like. When I'm sad, like, I like to get a cup of tea and call up on the... I like to watch Reservoir Dogs. That's cool. So that's, like, my go-to. Like, I need to just, like, tune out. I can actually do the whole, like, opening, the diner scene monologue. I can almost do that from memory. Cool. Um, But, yeah, no. So I went through, like, one summer, just, like, his whole IMDb page and just watched all these just, like, weird, out there, just, like, movies of him just being, like, really, like, I don't even know... He's, he's an interesting dude. This just made me even more excited for Twin Peaks. I am, as as Kelsey's making fun of me, I literally had goosebumps when we she's started talking like, she's about it. She's got, like, stand-up hair on her arms right now. I'm, like, so it's excited. Visible. You have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little freaked out. I'm not going to lie. I might get stabbed I mean, by some hair. Listen, I'm no Wolverine, but, like... To be seen. Yeah, like, I don't I don't know, man. Like, just Tim Roth is great. I agree. And the prospect of him working with David Lynch is just so awesome. So, yeah, we'll look forward to that. We'll see if there's any more updates on, on any of it. Um, also, Michael Sarah's in the show. So, like, there's, like, this, like, just weird, awkward cast of just great people that are probably going to work so well together. But, I mean, have you seen the original Twin Peaks? Oh, Beaks? yeah. Listen, like, re-watching that on its own, they're, they're, like, now I think it's weird, like, touched by nostalgia where, like, oh, this is this great show. But it's but, a like, cringe fest. It's such a cringe fest. It's so bad and it's so good at the same time. And you just, you sit there and you're like, this is so weird. There are times when I used to, like, tune out for half a second and then all of a sudden there's, like, like, somebody's rolling on the floor while somebody's dancing in the background and then there's like screaming and I'm like I don't know if I'm having like a bad acid trip of an acid that I've never taken before but like it's it, yeah anyways so it's wonderful yeah and it, the best thing too and this is the weirdest part of this interview is that it was kind of revealed that like the studio greenlit this without a, like an episode charge like they, oh, wow. they they put the script forward instead of an episode like not an episodic form and just like right. a master script and they only gave it like in parts to the actors so they only received their parts they didn't get to see like what other people are saying or how else the, like the thing like is transgressing or transpiring and so it's just it's odd it's odd that the studio puts that much faith in David Lynch I mean how could you not I mean the guy's right. brilliant but they I mean, that's so unprecedented I'm just like yeah just go for it. We'll see what you come up with. That's awesome. So here's the hoping that this works. David, if you're out there, we love you. Love you, man. We love, love you, Tim Roth. So, so to wrap up this new section, we're going to keep it real short with this little bit. But we were going to have, we were, I was trying to get our good friend, Dr. Summers, to come back on the show and nerd out with us about Star Trek. He would have been the prime dude to do it. But unfortunately, he is writing, well, 
Unfortunately for us, fortunately for him, he's writing right. two new books on Neil Gaiman, and I don't know exactly what their topics are, but I mean, obviously he's like a huge Neil fan. Right. Um, and they're getting published. He's meeting with publishers already. Like, he's, he's good to go. So awesome. we will talk about those books with, with Summers as soon as we can. Right. Um, so if you, if you want to get his class load, look for him. He teaches great classes on sabbatical now. But we'll keep going. So we're going to jump into this main segment here in a second. But we're going to take a quick commercial break to, to give some props and some love to our local comic book shop, the Hall of Heroes. And then we will be back to Boldly Go, where some, some men and women have gone before. Yes, a decent amount. A few, yeah, yeah. a few. Boldly going. Yeah. So we'll be right back, guys. Hang in there with us. Wake up in the morning and I go and get the paper. Gotta get the paper. Hey guys, this episode of Raving Geeks has been sponsored by the Hall of Heroes. Located in Campus Court next to Subway, the Hall of Heroes is open six days a week, Monday through Saturday. Visit their website at www.hallofheroesllc.com and let the Hall of Heroes become your go-to comic book destination. My synopsis is real. Never had that old feel with cats who make waves and get a 360 deal. Hey guys, we're back. As always, you can check out really cool titles, uh, games, cards, everything you need to get for your geek on. Get your geek on Get at geek the Hollow Heroes. Uh, it's located on Mission Road. And uh, see Michael, he's a good dude. He's an all right guy. But yeah. I digress. Here we are, guys, in our main segment. And this is this is a personal point of like geek pride for me to be doing this this episode. Oh, to yeah. have to have lived to see fifty years of Star Trek, and it still being like really popular, and still really cool. It's amazing. That's that's a huge feat. I mean, you think about some of these shows that have been around forever, right? It's like like record breaking season shows like Bonanza, you know, things like that. Come and go, completely wiped out of our cultural context. And here's something Star Trek, which has always been dubbed as the the, the wagon train to the stars, a western in space, still having as much cultural relevancy as as anything else mm-hmm. it's a beautiful beautiful thing so without further ado here is our ode to the 50 years of star trek and um it's it's just beautiful i i did see the new movie Thought- that's that's the one thing i actually and i i'm dying larry i'm literally dying i'm dying larry, dying, larry. But, um i haven't seen the newest one i've heard that's actually like the most close to source close to you know origin it's the most like uh the original series than anything else that's been produced so i'm super excited just haven't gotten around to it um i'm a little disappointed in myself actually for that it released when i was uh, up on mackinac the nearest movie theater was like nowhere near me a remote island yeah yeah you know i was literally exiled um but yeah no i think it's really important to touch on this whole lasting impact thing of just how much star trek actually provided to present day culture. Um, culture, media, TV. Just, just like the whole idea, Gene Roddenberry devised the show as a way to show this like perfect future where, you know, this was released 50, late 50s, early 60s. Early, mid 60s. Mid, yeah, mid 60s. Okay, well, the, yeah, it was starting to become in production, early 60s, released mid 60s. Um, you know, we had our issues with the Russians, we had our issues with the civil rights movement, we had our issues with. You know, just a bunch of different things. And to have this type of media where we show, you know, front and center, you have your, you know, we have Sulu, who represents, like, your Asian culture navigation pilot. You have Chekhov, who's, you know, the Russians. You have, you know, Uhura, who represents, like, the African-American. You have uh, just, like, all these women on the bridge, all these people of color. I mean, well, and I say all, which I'm doing air quotes if you can't see, but... I mean, for the 60s, that was incredibly, incredibly progressive. And I literally could, like, just wax poetic about how Gene Roddenberry literally changed the game for everything. Uh, but I'm not going to just monopolize. So, I mean, like... Well, he did. And that's the thing. There was such great diversity and equality in, in just such a, like, subtle way, too. Um, because it doesn't really get into any kind of, like, allu- like illusions of, like war that happened prior to their like their place in time you know any kind of like struggles that went on um it just implied that like we all just realized that we can work so much better if we just get along and we drop all of our like religious and philosophical constraints on on how we 
work with each other and it's it was so beautiful and especially for the time um for the fact you mentioned like with the being in the midst of a cold war right having a russian front and center front and center on the bridge um it was just a beautiful thing one of the first like first and i want to say it was the first because i was actually uh we were educated. We, were edu- we got learned. We got educated by our resident Vulcan, Jonathan Hogan, who was our cops reporter, um, about that it was not the first interracial kiss, but it was probably one of the most controversial ones because it was on primetime TV. Most prominent. And it was, like, in-your-face and intense. And um, you're just really pushing boundaries on, like, social mores and, like, kind of exposing things. The best thing about it was that it was it, there was it was kind of rooted in the fact that there was this utopia the only real like conflict that happened between people was if you know it was like them and the klingons there yeah. wasn't a lot of whole like bridge conflict unless if you take something like gary mitchell you know yeah yeah well i mean there was like your low-key like bridge conflict i mean but it was like normal like day-to-day like i'm having a spat with my coworkers conflict mm-hmm. not like a you know I'm American, you're Russian, Chekhov, so this is why we don't like each other conflict. It was very much so like, hey, guys, like if we were all to set aside like our political, social, economical, philosophical differences, look at all that we can accomplish if we move forward and, you know, go turn our sights towards the stars. Like, yeah. And not to mention all of the people that, the real-life people who Star Trek inspired, you know. I've read a ton of news stories about, like, women and like african-american people and you know what like people have been inspired to become astronauts because they're like oh i saw you know nichelle nichols on you know star trek's front bridge and she was you know going places and she was super smart and super intelligent and just had this like air about her and like to hear that is literally like so touching oh yeah absolutely there was um trying to trying to think there was and this was a long time, so I think it might have been like the the thirtieth anniversary mm-hmm. when they when they did it. Um, Whoopi Goldberg, who obviously was Guinan on the Next Generation, oh yeah, um, one of my favorite characters ever on Star Trek because she was so wise, she was so awesome, and Whoopi Goldberg's just great in the first place. But she spoke at that at that like it was like a Roddenberry event or something like that. And I think it might have been when he died as well too, because he died in the nineties, early nineties. Uh, she said that watching Star Trek for the first time was such a game changer for her, as you just mentioned, because she said she said she clearly remembers looking to her mom in the kitchen while she was like glued to the TV and says, Mom, there's a black woman on TV and she's not a maid. And just like even just those words, like in the simplicity of all of it is just so powerful because it was it was totally true. It was a role for an African-American woman. Which yeah. is which is crazy enough, right? Because right? we still deal with when we look at race relations, we always like kind of count out the intersectionality, like intersectionality of of no. women women of color and their like place and like shaping like black culture too. Mm-hmm. Um, so just for in the '60s to be playing with that is just phenomenal. You know, you take a guy who was a screenwriter, right? He was not a scientist. He was not a social scientist. Taking some bit of his imagination and shaping the way that the world looks at each other is just is is brilliant. And it's so weird when you have these figures that just pop up in, in our time that can do that. Um, and so Roddenberry was was such just like a forward thinker. It was beautiful. You were gonna say something earlier. Kelsey. Yeah. What I think is great about the show is its ability to like bridge generations. Like my grandma was a huge Trekkie. My aunt's a huge Trekkie. My cousin's a huge Trekkie. You know, I've recently been getting into it in the past couple years, um, and I think that's amazing that th- you have this show that so many different generations can relate to and can find interest in and, like, watching it. And, you know, I remember growing up and seeing, you know, Star Trek magnets all over my grandma's fridge and stuff like that, and I think it's amazing. I mean, yeah, no, I've, I've definitely been a Trekkie since very young. And I don't actually know what triggered it because nobody else... My dad is a huge Star Wars fan. So this was like a joking point of contention wow. between me and my dad. Wow. Um, I think it was like when I was little, uh, when we would just like leave like the television on, it would play on like WDET, which mm-hmm. is just like a cable channel. Yeah, the like, original reruns series would, would right? Yeah, yeah, reruns would play all the time. And uh, yeah, no, it just like stuck with me. I had a baby doll named Chekhov. I, it, was, it was actually, I couldn't pronounce my V, so it was Chekhov. Check but um, my cat currently, her name is Q. That's great. After Q. Um, but yeah, no, I. That's that's definitely been something that I can say, has shaped my life and like my interests is which and then that's that's so impactful to think about and I'm so curious to see how the next 
know this is like way in the future, but the next 50 years of mm-hmm. Trek play out because, I mean, like you were saying earlier, you know, things come and go. We just gradually lose interest, like stuff that my grandparents were into. I can't even, you know, outside of like, you know, the Ed Sullivan show, like I can't name stuff that was prominent during their generation except for Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And I mean, probably more stuff, but like, and I can't wait until like, you know, I don't know, God forbid, whatever happens, like one day I have like grandkids or whatever. And they look back and they're like, wow, like a hundred years ago, like they made this show and it had such like a lasting impact. And I I can't wait until like we actually see like, you know, I guess communicators are real, but stuff like the transporter become real. Okay, that's that's another point. So I'll get to that in just a second because that's a really important point too. But like to just to piggyback off of your impact thing is like my dad was a huge Star Trek fan when he was a kid, right? And he watched it with his father. Mm -hmm. And like he was so engrossed with science fiction that my dad became a NASA scientist. My dad worked for NASA before he moved to Ford, right, as a mechanical vibrations engineer. And like he always kind of talks about like, oh, it was music that like got me into vibration science because Mm -hmm. like I, you know, was so interested. He plays guitar. He's such a good musician. um, So it carried over. But despite any of that, he always links it back to that first Star Trek series and just his mind just being so opened. Um, And that's the beautiful thing, too, is that you're talking about a time where like science fiction was camp and like. It was like, Plan Nine from Outer Space. It was it was, it was real lowbrow yeah. stuff. Um, and even though that first Star Trek show is so campy, it's, it's one of the most beautiful things about the original series is that it opened up the fact that st- like sci-fi could be relevant, it could be it, poignant, it, powerful, powerful, mm-hmm. and it could be vastly much more interesting than some crazy like fake monster that came from outer space. I mean, you know? there were, there's there the fair share of those. I mean, like well, you, you got go like and Gorans, you go back, right? Well, you go back and there's like one episode where Sulu is holding like a wild extraterrestrial and it's literally a Shih Tzu with a horn glued to yeah, its head. Yeah, exactly. Which is funny <laughs> as all get out. I, I literally have too. I literally have never laughed harder in my entire life They're like we have this wild beast here and it's literally a dog with like a horn glued well, to its head. Yeah. And I, I mean well, you work with what you got. Right? Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. It's just And it's funny too because like the NBC had so little faith. They tried to cancel it they, several times. They did because it just was not gonna work. And then that they have those three seasons and you know, it was forever until they came out with the next generation. It was like a well, good the movies too. Well yeah, of course. And then they had the movies in the seventies and then like in the eighties, right? I think the first one came out in seventy nine. 79 or 80. It was one of the two. But, I mean, let's face it, the 80s or 1980 is still 1979. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> just in, t- like, style and, and affect. But, um, yeah, it's and it's so cool how it morphed from this, like, camp thing to, like, taking it super, super seriously. And if you guys want to check out a really cool thing on The Next Generation as we build this bridge from the original series to TNG, there's a, a documentary on Netflix right now that Shatner produced called Chaos on the Bridge and it talks about the like the turmoil of trying to get the next generation going like NBC was like they wanted a new Star Trek show uh, they didn't know how they were going to do it um, I mean Gene Roddenberry was old at that point his health started failing halfway through the show um, but it really details like how Roddenberry had to fight to protect his the like, integrity of the show. Well, yeah, his his vision of the show, which eventually became really weird because like he started to do things outside of what he prescribed as like should be Star Trek, uh, so much so that the top showrunners had to like pull him back in and say, "I am writing in within the context of what you wanted, so don't don't take this somewhere else where you don't mm-hmm. want to go." Yeah. Um, and it's just really cool to see how all of that's existed. I mean, you've got Voyager after that, which is like a direct sequel to TNG. Mm-hmm. Really cool. Enterprise did not work out so well. Deep Space Nine is another direct sequel to... I like Deep Space Nine, but I wasn't that into it. I was going to say, Deep Space, Nine is, Deep Space Nine is like almost like an acquired taste. It is. It is. It's it's a strange like outlier in all of it. I mean, plus you've got Worf showing up all the time. You've got the one Ferengi, and I forget what his name was. Um, he's like the most prominent Ferengi on the show. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's just really cool that it's existed that long. And now we have these newer movies... It's just it's just keeping it up, and I think that the fan base is being fed and by new show, new show. Exact, well, yeah, we'll bring that up in a second too. But the fan base is being fed by cultural interest, nostalgic interest, nerd interest, but also because they watched it with their parents, 
you know, and there's like this real familial thing, like it just keeps getting passed down. And it's really cool that you guys have that experience too, you know, because I think that's like how everybody finds this stuff. Um, but yeah, the tech, let's talk about the tech, things that we like wouldn't have if it wasn't for Star Trek. There's, yeah, there was like a really cool, oh God, I forget where I read it before. It might've been like Discovery or something like that. It was like a like notable publication where it was like, 10 things that have been either impacted by or, like, are almost exactly like what we know from Star Trek. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting to, like, sit back and be like, this is, you know, what they thought would go on, like, hundreds of years in the future. And it's just 50 years. And it's like, we have face-to-face -face calling on our phones. I can FaceTime yep. my dad in one state while he's in another. Uh, we don't so have transporters yet, but... Don't have that. We don't have materialization yet, so we're, we're getting we're getting there. But um, even, like, with our smartphones, right? The whole idea of, like, on the TNG ship, of the, being able to swipe and, like, do touchscreen stuff with mm -hmm. computers, like that. It, the that, pad? Data pads are literally iPads. That is exactly yeah. what we have. Yeah, we have those now. Um, the communicator watches. I mean, that's an Apple... That's an iWatch. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know? We have smart watches now. We have all of this. Um, I'm sure if we, like, could list out every, like... Uh, tech thing that came off of Star Trek, like every like Star Trek idea, we could almost definitely find some type of real world counterpart yeah. to it. Yep. Yeah. Which blows my mind, and I cannot think of another series, honestly, no, at all that had such an impact on the tech world. The only thing that that even remotely came close were all the sci-fi novels before you know Star Trek was a thing. You know, right, you got right. Jules Verne. Basically creating this, the, yeah, Isaac Asimov, exactly. These people basically creating tech and fiction before they're, it's actually, like, created. Right. Um, and influencing like that. It's just it's such a beautiful thing. Um, and as we go on and it gets, you know, to this new show, which you guys know that there is a new Star Trek show coming out. Um, this ship is called The Discovery, mm -hmm. which is really cool. It looks vastly different because it kind of explains that, like, I mean, this is supposed to be a prequel to the track show. Right, mm -hmm. which is weird because Enterprise kind of played with that concept too. So this is like after Enterprise, um, and they're really starting to go out and explore space mm -hmm. um, before like the the prescribed five year missions and things right, like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they bridge this story with a, with a new cast, and I think the the precedent is there for this to survive because of TNG. I mean, there was so much backlash because of what TNG was, that it wasn't Shatner, it wasn't Nimoy, that it was this new cast. People were so, like, vehemently against it. But now I think there's a new chance for this, to, like, not. That backlash won't happen this time. And it's really cool. I think because um, we've distanced ourselves, and we've distanced ourselves enough from the original source material in terms of years that, you know, original fans will still look at it and be like, okay, well, you know, it's not TOS, but, you know, nothing is going to be TOS again. Yeah. Especially with... May he rest in peace, the passing of Nimoy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we don't have DeForest Kelly anymore. We don't have James Doohan. No. Um, I mean, there isn't going to be another original series. So no. I, I think it's pertinent for geek fans to kind of come to that realization of, like, we need to treat this as, yes, a, a fixture in the Star Trek universe, but a separate entity. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just it's one of those things, too, is that it's like, even if it's not that good, you know, we have so much to work with it's like pizza. Star Trek. Even when it's not good, it's good. It's still there, yep. you know? And just, like, even the interest. I mean, the fact that those movies, the new movies, were so good. I mean, they weren't maybe, as you mentioned, in the vein of, of canon. I mean, because they obviously played with some of the canon a lot. They had this alternate universe kind of mentality. But I liked that. I did, too. Yeah, That was I did so too. Trek. That was so innately Trek to be playing with stuff like that. I really... And it, and it allowed... Uh, viewers to both experience original work while playing with this new universe mm -hmm. so that way you didn't have to upset people who were like well that's not how it went back in you know when Kirk fought the Gorn or whatever or something yeah. like that like you have this whole new playground and that's that's they, I don't think they could have done better, Yeah, honestly. And before we move on with some odd stories that we have about Trek, uh, the one last piece of lasting impact that I think is most powerful and most meaningful for us on this podcast, right, is the idea of the convention. The idea of the con was spawned by Star Trek fans. Mm -hmm. The idea of actually fan fiction was also spawned by Star Trek fans. Two, two pieces of extremely relevant nerd culture, things that fans can interact with, became a thing because of Star Trek. 
You know, and there's this really cool, like, and it's very funny, too. Um, Shatner was a host on SNL in Mm -hmm. the 80s when the movies were starting to roll out. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, they did this sketch where, like, he was, like, speaking at, like, a con, right? And they were asking him all these just, like, really just, like, like peripheral questions about track that are just like super nerdy is like I don't I don't know he's like why don't you people just get a life you know <laughs> they, they riffed on that actually when the new movie came out they had a uh, Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto come out mm-hmm. and they were like we understand we're not Kirk and Spock can you please stop egging our house and it was really funny because they riffed on the fact that they were like yeah they were like do we have nerds driving by our homes like throwing rocks at our windows and scratching them you're not Shatner yeah they're like we had, we had <laughs> nerds throwing rocks at our windows and scratching them and I remember like uh, the host was like wait scratching them they're not breaking them they're like no their wimpy arms can't throw them hard enough so all they do is just like dent the wooding a little bit and I just it's but yeah no I digress but it's it's great so I mean you have all these different things that have just shaped our lives I mean a lot of ways even though Star Wars was so drastically different in tone and in story scope it being a space opera as opposed to like a you know like a western in space mm-hmm. I would argue pretty pretty hardcore that Star Wars would not be even a, like a thing to even consider without the success of Star Trek at its back and even though that there I mean the fandoms will be like oh that's not true I mean I, I gotta believe that and it's not even me being a fan you know so cheers to, to Star Trek and its lasting impact um, there are two things that we wanted to talk about with Star Trek and I'm gonna let Jordan go first I, I'm on the list first but okay so Jordan had a, had a a close, close almost encounter. Close, close encounter with <laughs> close William Shatner of the fifteenth kind. So I don't know. Go ahead and tell us his tale. Um. Okay. So in high school, uh, still very much so as obsessed with Star Trek as I am today. Um, my mom and her girlfriend uh surprised me. I think it was like my sixteenth birthday or something. William Shatner was speaking in Detroit. Uh, he had a speaking tour called Shatner's World. It was when he released a book. I have that in my room somewhere. I also have a t-shirt that came with the book because they bought me like this like tour package. And it was like me and my best friend went to go see William Shatner speak at the Fox Theater, I think it was. And um, I have never sat through two hours of the most wildest experience ever <laughs> in my life. Two, two hours alone with Shatner has got to be pretty weird. Two hours, I'm, I'm going to hesitate to use the word alone because there's a bunch of other geeks there. Too. Sure, I'm just I'm just waxing on it. But, like, it was wild to see, first of all, him in the flesh, uh, especially going from, like, watching original series to seeing, like, current day Shatner. Very different man. Current day Shatner kind of looks like a standing bowl of oatmeal. Okay, <laughs> okay so oddly like, enough, God, God love her because, I, I don't want to say this in bad taste, but as my grandmother... My adoptive grandmother uh, got older. Yeah. She looked more and more like how William Shatner looks now. now. Oh, it, like, no. if you put a, a picture of my deceased, God, I love you, I'm sorry, Grandma Rip Diane, next to William Shatner, it's the same person. <laughs> sorry uh, I interrupted. Grandma, dude. It's just one of those things. But, yeah, so he's, he's a weird cat. So he, yeah, he he's... Did. So, uh, after Trek... Uh, he really tried to, like, everybody knows, he tried to, like, distance himself from, like, the Captain Kirk role. And, you know, what was he in? Like, Boston Legal and, like, all their just, like, yeah, weird shows. he was in, like, it, a cop show. It didn't really work out. Like, William Shatner is William Shatner is Captain Kirk. You know, Nimoy really embraced it. Shatner was like, I'm an actor. I'm a thespian. It's like, eh, you're overdramatic. That's what you are. He had all this poetry. Can um, I uh, can I tell you about my first introduction to William Shatner, actually? Yeah, go, go for it. It was from the Miss Congeniality movie when he's oh the host. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> perfect. That's so, okay. That's that's fantastic. Great. But so, but so he, in his attempt to, you know, tell everybody that, you know, I'm, I'm a thespian. He, uh, he apparently got really into horses. Mm-hmm. He's got real into horses. So, like, a good portion of this talk was him talking about, like, this horse ranch that he owns, like, kind of, like, down south. And I was like, this is not what 16-year-old Jordan signed up for. I was so <laughs> excited for to hear him talk about. And, like, a, a good portion of the talk was him talking about, you know, behind-the-scenes Trek stuff. He talked about how, like, the the gang, like, how they were a family. how And that was, like, was glued to the screen the whole time. So intense into that. Um, and he started talking about his horses. And at one point, he's talking about how he was like, and get, Lord forgive me, it's been a couple of years. But um, he's talking about how he was like trying to like, he bought this wild horse and he was like convinced he could like rear it or something. I don't know. 
But so he gets like real into this story and he's in a typical William Shatner fashion. He's talking about this like this wild stallion that like rears up on its hind legs and tries to like stomp on him. And he like in the process of telling the story to like illustrate the stallion like gets off this bar stool he's sitting on and like lifts it above his head and starts just screaming, nay, nay. <laughs> and I'm literally there losing my mind. Everybody is so like into this. And my best friend and I are literally looking at each other with like barely concealed like tears in our eyes like trying not to laugh like this guy is probably I can't speak for Julian on his behalf but my hero he's standing there waving a bar stool screaming nay talking about a stallion and then he like launches it across the stage and like just so dramatic it's like I found out that we were very different animals and it was like just trying to be so like poetic about like trying to rear this horse and I just I still like to this day just have the image just burned into my retinas of just this like fat porridgey looking man holding up a bar stool yelling about horses and I'm just like that's that's the man I choose to idolize that that is like William Shatner <laughs> and that was like so him though in a nutshell like so him and it's like it took me like a while to realize because like I walked out of there I was like I kind of feel ripped off in a sense like I came here oh no you got your track, money's worth but no like as, <laughs> as I like boiled and like sat on it a little I was like no no I was front row to the William Shatner show. I was front row to literally Shatner's world. I saw him talk and interact with a horse. He talks like that in real life. I know he does. It's crazy. I know he does. I literally thought that that was just like an acting thing. That is thing. not an act. That is that's no. not. That's that's all Shatner. That's all the time. Is. And yep. like, look at that. I again, once again, have chills just remembering like that. So many goosebumps. Just this is great. He's he's a man. He's a myth. He's should a have legend. like a, a a goosebumps alert. Goosebump alert. Yeah, goosebump alert. If Jordan gets goosebumps, you know, it was a good story. So I want to bring this one down and end off this little segment, and then we're going to go to a quick segment at the end here. Um, but there was a uh, little story that the Oatmeal uh, shared. It was a uh, little webcomic thing that they put together, and um, at first it doesn't seem like it has anything to do with Star Trek, but I'm, I'm actually going to read it in full. Um, so sorry, Oatmeal. Don't get mad at us. We're actually going to, we're going to share it. We're going to reshare your post. So we make sure that, you know, you get your good due. But I have to read it because it's just so good. Um, so it's kind of out of context, but the words explain enough of it. So here I go. Here's my uh, voiceover voice. On June 18, 1947, on a Pan Am flight from Calcutta to New York, an engine stopped working, which caused another engine to overheat, which caused a fire, which caused a panic. And while the pilot attempted to land the plane, the 25-year-old co-pilot unbuckled himself. He went into the main cabin to help with the passengers. He sat next to a young woman who was alone. He told her it was going to be okay. He told her this as he watched the engine continue to burn. He told her this as he watched it fall from the wing. He told her this as the fuel lines became exposed and fire took over the aircraft and the plane pitched downward. He told her this knowing that every single person on that plane was about to die. The plane hit hard, crashing, crashing into the Syrian desert. Fourteen people died instantly. Two crew members survived, including the co-pilot. And with a pair of broken ribs, he went back into the burning plane, pulling survivors from the wreckage. And eventually, the wind turned, and fire overtook the aircraft. And so they waited. Morning arrived, but a rescue did not. The co-pilot took charge and formed two search parties. The first party went in one direction. The second party, along with the co-pilot, went into the other, wandering into the desert. They eventually found a village, a village which had a radio. A call was made, and then 22 survivors were rescued, finally. As for the co-pilot, the crash changed him. After that, he didn't want to be a pilot anymore. He wanted to do something different with his life. He resigned from Pan Am to pursue a career in writing and ultimately in television. His name was Gene Roddenberry, and he created Star Trek. This story is not intended as an ode to Roddenberry, although he certainly deserves one. Prior to working in television, he was a decorated World War II pilot, a plane crash investigator, and an L.A. cop. He survived three plane crashes. This story is intended to remind you that our journeys are short. Roddenberry saw life's ephemeral nature lit up against a backdrop of stars. He saw that we were all passengers pitching downward into the night. He saw that we were all helpless. So get up and help someone. Jesus, dude. Like, you know, and, like, that is, like, the basis of what, like, Star Trek embodies, right? And, like, while people have always said that Roddenberry was hard to work with, he was a stubborn man, he maybe wasn't, like, 
as utopian in nature as the rest of his show was. That story alone just shows you how one small crazy event can make you be inspired to do something brilliant and put a dent in the universe. So if you get anything from listening to this episode, if you get anything from watching Star Trek, realize this, is that our lives are short and we have a very big window of opportunity at least to make a difference. So go out and do that in the spirit of Star Trek. Ooh, I got goosebumps now, too. Just got a boldly Goosebump go. alert. I just got to boldly go. Goosebump alert. Okay, we're going to take a very, very short break, and then we're going to come back and do our end segment, and then we're going to leave it off with that. So hang in there, guys. We'll be right back. And, guys, we're back. Thank you so much. So we're, this is our end segment. As you guys know, we like to either play a game or talk about something weird, have, like, a side conversation that didn't make the main segment. But this one was really important, and we've been kicking this around since we met to, like, to form plans for our new season, and this one's going to be a fun one. We want to talk to you guys about relics of the internet past, things online that still exist, that you can still find if you really want to, except for maybe one of them, except for maybe one, right. that if people just do not use anymore. So we got a nice little list, and uh, we're just going to go down the line here of things that we found that were just stupid, that we can't believe that we actually engaged in, but still are around. Mm -hmm. And the first order of business, my friends, is Neopets. Okay, listen, I'm going to backtrack your words there because Neopets was honestly the coolest thing. Yeah, yeah, when we were like was. 15. I know, okay. Like, I when remember. You, when I was 15, you were like like 10. Listen. Something like that. Maybe well, how, wait, how much older are you than me? Well, how old are you now? I'm 20. I'm 28. So that was eight years ago. Jesus, so, Grandpa? So when I was 15, you were like, wow. So, hold, hold the phone for <laughs> a second. Children's. I'm going to be... I'm going to be honest with you about Neopets. I played that far too old. Oh, no. Because, and there's one one particular reason. There's a game in one of the worlds that I like to play, and it was basically the game Bullshit. But I would play it, it for hours. Cheat. It was yeah. cheat. Cheat. I played, the sh I played the heck out of cheat. Oh, yep. my God. Jordan gets me. Oh, my God. Yeah, no. That was, I would literally sit there and just farm money from yep. cheat. That's all I did. Farm money. I would Neopets play cards with little Neopets. My little dinosaur Neopet I would play cards with. Oh, my God. And then I was like, the thing about Neopets, <laughs> listen, listen, I'm losing my mind. I was so into Neopets. Just get it out, Jordan. I yep. need to just get it out. One go. Um, Neopets definitely was, like, my first foray into, like, real internet blogging because you you used to be if you used to be able to like blog and like Neopets is actually how I learned how to code. Not gonna lie to you, wow. because this, you, this was like actually instrumental to you. No, like yeah, no, I'm not kidding. Neopets had like an integral part of like, and I'm probably talking way too you fast. Are, so I'm gonna loud. slow it down. <laughs> it's okay. Rain it in, man. Rain it in. <laughs> Alex is like pulling his headphones off. Like, Ugh, but wow. uh, no, Neopets was like an integral part to me learning how to internet. Uh, because you used to be able to, and I, was, I haven't been on it in years, so I don't know. You used to be able to have a shop. You used to be yep. able to uh, write. You used to be able to submit your writings to, like, a Neopets journal. Wow. And they would choose who had, like, the best writing. And one of mine, like, got in, like, on like this like they national like, they little, publication. Like, they had a little like joke like neo publication where you would like write short stories and they would publish them. What? Listen, <laughs> they had a soup kitchen. So if oh, you couldn't afford I do to feed kitchen. your neopets, they would feed you. Yeah, because otherwise they'd be sad and starving and they'd be crying at you. Which is yeah. animal abuse. But no, yeah. I honestly digital and digital animal, animal abuse. Wow. But yeah, no, I neopets taught me how to code. Neopets was definitely where I started first, like, writing as, like, a little kid. Because what? Okay. So you're 15. I'd be seven. You were seven <laughs> and writing for a, a, a respected no, peer-reviewed no, 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 peer no, 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 Neopets no, no. journal. Okay, so it would be, like, 10, maybe. I don't know. But, yeah, no. So, like... Yeah, it taught me how to, like, my shop. I used to put, like, little MP3 because I was, like, that, like, little scene kid. I'd put, like, Linkin Park in there or something. <laughs> I've become so numb. Anyways, so I would, like, put that. You could, like, HTML code your blog to, like, have little, like, GIFs and stuff like that. So, no, I was, Neopets was instrumental. You in guys got yeah. way more out of Neopets than I did. I was just sitting on my computer just like, oh, this is fun. I actually did it because, like, there was girls that I was interested in who were really into Neopets. And I was like, hey, I got a Neopet. And I was like, oh, that's great. We'll talk. And it's like, oh, cool. I got a date from Neopets. Like, straight up there with, like, do you remember, like, the nice. internet, like, thing, Gaia Online? No. Yep. 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 No. That was in that same vein. It was. Except for it was a little more, uh, like, MMO-ish. Like, mm -hmm. you wasn't really... Oh, I do remember Guy. You, you had, like, your yeah, own little character, and you would walk around, and, oh, my God, I farmed the heck out of Gaia so much. So there's yep. there's the Neopets 
it's still there. You can still do it if you want to. But speaking of like talking to people through things. But but okay, so the next on the list is three things that are just now defunct that are really just funny now. Um, one of them still is around and it's a scourge on our on our houses, plague upon our houses. Plague on both our houses. MySpace, Internet Explorer, and chain, uh, emails. chain emails. Now, okay, so let's get into MySpace. The the advent of social media, which is really kind of funny because like if you think about like other like there, there was social media that existed before, but not like this. Not like a platform where you could go to one stop, mm-hmm. one stop shop, get some friends. Everybody had Tom as their friend. Yep. I miss Tom. Tom. In pieces, Listen, Tom. sometimes listen, I still access my old MySpace. And the What's reason it like? is. Is that like, a, like an old dystopia? Like? It is. It's really interesting. Well, because I have, I, there's still like a bunch of photos that I have of some of my friends from high school that I'm still really close with. Sure. So every once in a while I'll go on there and just pull random photos from when they were, you know, in high school and just blast them on Facebook so everyone can see them because it's hilarious and they don't totally forgot they exist. See, like, the sad thing is, is, like, I was too young for, uh, I don't, I I came in at the tail end of, like, the MySpace era. Like, I was never into MySpace when it was, like, hip-hop and happening, but I definitely- Was MySpace ever hip-hop? I mean- I had a lot of MySpace, uh, hip-hop on my MySpace. I, yeah, I was not- I don't want to talk about what was on my MySpace. I was a a gangster when I had MySpace. I didn't have MySpace, but I had DeviantArt. Which was like schmidt. Also, an important thing. Yep. Are still around though? DVD still, DVD yeah, still people, around, but I don't think people used it like as much as they did in the mid two thousands. I think people. Still, I found a decent amount of like fonts and stuff on there. Yeah, people, like, yeah, people yeah. use it. I don't know. I just, I personally got like a kick out of DeviantArt like mid two thousands. And you ever just go back and you're like, oh my god, who was I? Yep. Who was? <laughs> Little fetus Jordan, just like I wish I could go back and just if, tell myself, get off the internet until you're like twenty. If you just, go on, if you go on MySpace, my MySpace right now, I'm in some like really awful like '90s beanie. All right? That's beautiful. It's wonderful. Um, there's like uh like like a picture like my wallpaper is like someone writing poetry, and I think it's like some Tupac poetry. So that's like of course. And then there's like some like uh like uh Black Alicious song on there. So like a lot of like underground hip hop, that's that's where I was at. I used to rap too, so oh, like I used. Good. My, we need to find us. Yeah, I, this is gonna be my new mission so to I, find uh, some Ben Solis originals. I have a we got song a journalist called, over I have a here. Song called "Who Watches the Watchmen." Oh my god! It's a song about Watchmen. Goosebumps oh alert! I know it's no like puke alert. <laughs> that's not gonna find its day because I'm gonna go delete my MySpace now. Well, I still have a chance. But yeah, MySpace was a thing. Internet Explorer is kind of still around. I have to use it for work, and well, it's my other job, and it's horrifying. So Anytime it, I see my parents open up Internet Explorer, like, they'll be like, Firefox, Chrome, Internet Explorer, and they click on Internet Explorer. I almost want to just smack the laptop, where it's like, why do you have this installed? Internet Explorer is one of those things that you click on on your desktop, and, like, as soon as it opens, you immediately you're like, no, 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 close, <laughs> close, close, right? Because it's just, yep. like, you don't know if it's going to bug out or whatever, but, like, they changed it, right? They have the p- different platform now with a different name. And it's still as crappy as it was anyway. Like, Microsoft cannot win with this one. So just let it die, guys. And then the last one is chaining emails, right? Chain emails, you know, the same things that you get. Like, it's like, Billy, blah, 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 blah. Like, and then you were like, if you didn't share it, like, it had some, like, awful consequence. Yep. I also, I don't know if you guys ever did this, but, like, I would get chain surveys. And it would just be, like, my friends would send me, it would be, like, What's your favorite color? Like all, then it would be like a bunch of random questions, and yeah, you would I didn't do that. you would you know be Reply like flying forward yep, to ten of your favorite exactly. friends. Exactly, did yeah, that all the time because I love to talk emails. about myself. Wow, and that, <laughs> yeah. that I'm like, such a narcissist. Now, like chain emails have like evolved or devolved if you really want to get into it, like into like political stuff, like sharing like really like wonky political facts. Well, not I even just that. I mean, like, have you ever seen those things where it's like, like, and I'll tell you one favorite memory I have of you. Like, I almost feel like that's like a chain email type of thing yeah. now where it's like evolved into like Facebook and stuff like that, where it's like, like, and then repost. And it's like, mm, or I could just not do that. Or like clickbaits. Yeah. Or like clickbait the, is the best the, though. The I'm spam sorry. virus clickbaits. I mean, those yeah. are like the equivalent of social media chain mail now today. Okay. Can I just say like, as we're all millennials here, were you ever blamed for getting viruses on your computer? Although it was very clearly your parents clicking on like yes. spam emails yeah i don't know all the time a lot of a lot of times it was me and my brother really yeah okay there was only one time where i accidentally gave our computer a virus but like the other like five times was like very clearly like my parents they'd be like if you weren't playing so many games on the computer i'm like mom 
Neopets is a wholesome environment. Well, like, the, well, the best thing was too is that with the old like Windows interface, right, from like XP and especially oh, yeah. like 95. Oh yeah. There were workarounds back then where like if a, you had a virus that like that like executable file would show up in your task manager. Now they've hidden themselves. They can't. You can't find them, right? Because right. they're like deep inside, like to certain processes and programs. But that exact Trojan would show up, and if you were real savvy and things were starting to get goofy, you could control out delete, pull up your task manager, kill that, and you'd got like another hour before that thing reared its ugly head again. Mm-hmm. That was a constant struggle between me and viruses, and I won that battle. But eventually, I lost the war. Yeah, I was gonna say it's tenacity it until it just out. you gotta go and get it fixed. Yeah. But so uh, this what is this last thing you guys have? Okay. I don't even remember. Well, there's this two one. things left. We're gonna talk about this one thing very short. There's a, there, Kelsey brought this to our attention. So Kelsey, go ahead. What the heck are beans? And it's B E E E N Z N Z. Okay, so beans. 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 Uh, beans was actually like an online. Um, currency similar to like bitcoin that started in 1998 um it was defunct in 2001 so but yeah there would be like on websites you could earn beans and um then you could use them for like online shopping which was you know still kind of new at that point really um and there was a lot of like it didn't really work out because it was kind of like illegal to make your own currency in certain countries so like it didn't work in some countries and you know this was kind of in the beginning of the internet, if you will, so it was not really fully formed. You know, now we have Bitcoin, but yeah, which, this was... Which, which the legality of which is still right. debated. Yeah, know. so that was the uh, early version of Bitcoin was beans. That's crazy. It's just crazy to think that people were thinking that far ahead, too, right? I know. Because Bitcoin just revolutionized a lot of stuff. I mean, it's, whether people use it anymore, I mean, Bitcoin is still hard to get. You know, um, you have to mine it. You have to like, if you want to trade it and things like that. But yeah, weird, 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 weird. And the name, the name Beans. I like the name. Beans? Makes me think of Beans from uh, Even Stevens. Oh my God. Beans, Beans, the magical fruit. Yeah. Yeah. We won't go. We know where that goes. Yep. We know where that's going. (laughs) So the last thing on our list. And it's still up a true testament to the willpower of humanity. To, to the will of the internet staying power. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you guys remember the Space Jam website, the old HTML, really bad, like, star wallpaper website. That is still alive and well. And functioning. And functioning. And we've looked it up multiple times. We looked it up in here a couple episodes ago. Yep. We looked it up on my computer just a second ago. Malachi Barrett visited us today. Ugh. What a guy. What a gem. What a what a what, what a, a man. What a man, what a man, what a mighty good man. But he came over, he's gonna try to join us on the show again too, but uh we he could not believe that this was a thing and we're like, dude, we promise you this is real. He's like, pull it up right now. Did it and he's like, Oh god, that's real. So it it is still around. You can still get all the features. You can look at all the, like the yep. production stills, you can get like there's the WB store it links over to. And I'm sure that link still works. Oh yeah, I think so because I um my roommates and I used to have a, a Space Jam themed party every year. Which is beautiful. And I went to, I was like making posters for it or whatever. And um, so I went to their website for references and I was like, oh my God, this is still from 1996. This is incredible. So yeah, it's, it's still around. You can still kind of relive the dream. And it still says 1996, like with a little, like, you know, the copyright symbol and stuff like that. It's Space like, Jam and I are the same age. I just realized. I know. Isn't that crazy? Me and Space Jam, we could have been like oh kindergarten classmates together. And so you're 20 now? Yeah. So Space Jam is 20 years old? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. I don't know when Space Jam was made. old. Like, was what year? No, 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 no. I mean, I meant month. Uh, Like, what month? <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't know. Okay. Or whatever. Like, I don't know that. But, like, August 23rd, I think that would be the funniest thing if Space Jam was actually older than me. Yeah. That's hilarious. That would be terrifying. That's great. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's super funny, too, because, like, they're doing this new Space Jam 2 with LeBron James. Like, that's yep. actually going to happen, which, oh, as, a, as a Cleveland Cavaliers fan... I am so excited for this. Um, Come on and slam, and welcome to the jam. <laughs> yeah, so we danced to that the other day. Um, but yeah, I, I, I wonder... I wonder if they're going to take that site down... Oh, I hope not. ...when they come up with the new site. That seems like a Warner Brothers thing is to do, to cut things that maybe not, should have not been cut. Let's start but a I petition. wonder if they even like remember... Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. you, you probably got to pay the bills on that site to keep it up, but like... Not if it was on a free site back yeah. in the day. So and it is well, it's a Warner Brothers domain. It still has like yeah. the Warner Brothers domain <clears throat> in there. I think that I think someone knows. I'm oh, f- I'm sure. I'm sure they're well aware and they just keep it up just because they're like. 
I Space truly Mountain is a pop culture icon. Yeah, it is. Truly I, hope that they do not take it down. I will be devastated as a human being. The best thing they could do is take that same format and use it for the new site. Oh I my god, truly my hope heart they would do. soar. I would literally be ecstatic. Warner Brothers, if you're out there and you're listening to our podcast, which we're sure you're not, but if you are, we he, got we got suggestions for you. Listen to our words. Listen to our feelings, our ideas. The valid. We we're valuable people. Man, we have important things to say. The internet. The internet is weird. Yeah, the internet's a weird, weird thing. I can only imagine how much weirder it's gonna get. It's gonna get real weird. But in the meantime, if you want to use the internet to find us, of course, of course, follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, and Twitter, new social media, and yep. not this old crap. That we talked about today. Let's just start plugging our MySpace. Gonna, yeah, say, we got a MySpace. Find me on DeviantArt. Don't do that. Yeah, That's terrifying. Yeah, please don't. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, of course, follow us on those social media mechanisms because they're still around and still relevant. But yeah, we're here at the end of our episode, so please, please contact us if you want to talk to us on the show, if you want to send us some hate mail, if you want to send us some messages. We're still waiting. Uh, Kelsey and I are toying around with an idea for prizes. Mm-hmm. We'll do some prizes. We're going to get some deals going. So uh, things are good. Things are real good. But, yeah, as always, guys, thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to us rant and rave for real long periods of time. You are the people that make us do what we do do so well. You're the reason for the season. The season of geek. And of course, above all else, live long. And prosper. And prosper. Yeah, so, yeah, we're not going to end off the way we usually do. Instead of us same bat time, same bat network crap that we pull every single time, we're just going to tell you, live long and prosper. Thank you for joining us. And geek out, guys. Come on and slam, and walk us to the jam!